If Bitcoin gapped up 50% tomorrow with no liquidity in between, BlockFi would be fine. We would be better than fine. We would be like popping champagne alongside everyone else. Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom, the Bitcoin capital of the world. How are you all doing? Are you having a great week? Pretty good stuff with Bitcoin right now, isn't it? It's edging back to new all-time highs. We tapped 60k. It's going to get back there, right? And then we're going to hit 70k. I think 100k is inevitable. What a year. I hope you're all enjoying it as much as I am. Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the Mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack. And today I've got an interview which a lot of you have been asking for with the CEO of BlockFi, Zach Prince, where we're going to be discussing borrowing and lending markets. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors. Okay, today we're kicking off with sportsbet.io, the best place for online gaming because they accept Bitcoin, but not just because of that. I got off the phone with the team a few days ago, and I've convinced them to give away two Lamborghinis. Yes, can you believe it? They're going to be giving away two Lamborghinis. Now, I did insist as part of the deal that I need to have one of those to ensure the credibility of the competition, and they agreed, so... So that's pretty cool. But there will be another one which will be given away. Now, we are working out the terms of the giveaway. It's likely going to be a game on their website, something they're going to have to do to compete to try and win. But I will have more information about that soon. But listen, Sportsbet is the best place for online gaming. And they have every market you could possibly be interested in. They've got football, tennis, American sports, motorsports. They even have esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. If you want to find out more, Head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. And next up, we have Exodus Wallet, who I have been using as my mobile and desktop wallet for Bitcoin ever since they reached out. Now, as some of you know who follow me on Twitter, Lloyd's Bank closed down all my bank accounts. They gave me 65 days notice after being a customer for 25 years. And I think this is because I'm a Bitcoiner. Well, Anyway, I have been gradually transitioning my business to more of a Bitcoin business. I accept Bitcoin for payments. I pay people in Bitcoin. And my lovely accountant is always nagging me saying, Pete, I need an audit of these transactions. And usually I'm pretty rubbish. So I needed a wallet where I could do all these transactions from and keep a record to give to my accountant. So when Exodus reached out to me, I took a look and I was like, yeah, your wallet, your wallet works for me. It's badass. Super easy to use. So I agree, they signed up as a sponsor. Now, if you want to check out Exodus, all you need to do is head over to exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. And let's talk about Casa, the very best in Bitcoin security. Now, some of you out there have been making some good gains, but some of you are going to be making some even better gains as Bitcoin continues its march. And you want to have your security in place. Now, I did this coming up to a year ago now. I signed up, I spoke to Nick, the CEO. I was like, come on, man, get me hooked up. I am an idiot. I am most likely to do something stupid. And they did. They set me up and I am protected from my own stupid mistakes, in-person attacks, device failure, and so much more. So if you want to get your security together, well, Casa has a product for every Bitcoiner. With Casa Gold, you get triple the security of a hardware wallet, and that only comes at $10 a month. With Casa Platinum, you get their three or five multi-sig. And with Casa Diamond, you get the full service offering. That comes with a customized personal security review, inheritance planning, and of course, their best in class in security. There's no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Okay, 
So onto the show today, and this is a show that I have been asked to make many, many times. I get a lot of emails from you people, probably 30 a day at the moment, and a lot of it is touching the borrowing and lending. It is a divisive topic in Bitcoin. Some people believe the future of financial services and Bitcoin world requires companies like BlockFi. Others believe not your keys, not your Bitcoin. And also, BlockFi are at the center of this. A lot of people do not like them as a business model, and a lot of people do like them. So full disclosure, firstly, I use BlockFi. I've been a customer for over a year. I don't get any preferential treatment, but I use them for interest, and I most likely will use them for their loan services. They are also a sponsor. But as I said, there are Bitcoiners out there who say, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. And with BlockFi, they do custody your Bitcoin. And for that, you receive interest. To me, this is a totally fair and transparent trade-off, and you just allocate accordingly. But BlockFi do get a lot of Bitcoiners questioning their robustness and their business model. So I asked Zach to come on and go through all the common criticisms and questions that are thrown around. I also asked my new producer, Ben Prentice, to come on. As I know, a few years ago when BlockFi launched, he had done a bit of a deep dive into the company and he had some questions that he wanted to get into. Now, if you do have any further questions about this show, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com and I do reply to everyone eventually even when there are loads coming in. Also, outside of this, please head over to Defiance. We've got this series about Britney Spears. It's very interesting about conservatorship. That's at defiance.news. And never edit. Our email newsletter is growing quite quickly. Very happy with that. Your daily dose of Bitcoin, news and macro. That's at neveredit.com. Anyway, have a great weekend. Love you all. And I'll see you all next week. Zach, how you doing, man? Good to see you. Good to see you too, Peter. It always feels like it's been way too long when we talk to each other on a podcast every six months or so because we used to hang out in person at least once a quarter and it seems like we're almost on the other side though like i don't know how things are in the uk but it feels like we're you know a couple months away now in the u.s from just all hell breaking loose and everybody being vaccinated and starting to party again well at least i think it's about a third of our our country has been vaccinated now um, I'm due for a vaccination if I want to take it uh, within the next month, and I'm going to take it because I want to get on a plane and come out to New York. Uh, I, as you know, I used to be there every two to three months. We'd would always get hang out, and, and we haven't caught up properly in ages, and I'm missing that, and I'm missing the conferences and the events. So hopefully soon, man. And uh, I think we're way ahead of the rest of Europe, uh, which is a bit of a shit show. So uh, yeah, some of the Bitcoiners won't like it, but I am taking a vaccine. I'm going to take all the vaccines in every arm and limb. That, that's my strategy as well. What do you think is the first event you're going to be able to go to? Are you going to go to that Bitcoin Miami? Definitely going to. I, I, I'm like worst case with that one. I will go because the problem is it's the US letting people in from the UK, but they're letting people in from countries that we can travel to. Well, we will be able to travel to, should I say? Um, so if I have to go somewhere for two weeks beforehand, I will. But I, I mean, I wanted to get out to Austin in April, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think Miami would be the first one, and I think we can all go mental. Are you, are you going to be there? I'm still I'm still on the fence. It depends a little bit on uh, wife and kids' summer schedule, whether or not I'll be able to go, but there will definitely be a handful of people from the BlockFi team. It's just a question of whether or not I'm able to make the trip. Well, if not, I mean, I'll try as part of the trip to come and see you, man. It'd be good to see you. Grab a steak, catch up. We got a congratulations to you guys, right? Well, we'll come to that. You can tell us about that towards the end, actually. Let's start with, why does everybody hate BlockFi? Well, not everyone. I love BlockFi, but 
you split people, dude. Like, I obviously get a load of people give me a lot of hassle, a lot of stress, and shout at me for having BlockFi. And I'm like, well, I've been with them for, what, 40 months as, a, as an actual customer. No issues. Trust you. Yeah, it seems to be like there's this group of people who just wants to come at you all the time. What, what do you think is going on there, dude? Yeah, I mean, look, I think um, a lot of things that ultimately end up being very successful and you know, Bitcoin, frankly, is one of them, uh, can be somewhat uh, divisive in, in their early stages. And you have uh, believers and advocates and you have uh, detractors and, and people who aren't a fan of you know, whatever people are doing one way or, or another. I had a, um, a Twitter account before BlockFi Zach that only tweeted a few things, but one of the things it tweeted was, uh, if people aren't hating, it's because you aren't doing shit. So, and you can relate to this too. I mean, you have a What Bitcoin Did podcast and people are throwing all kinds of uh, shade at you at at different times. But look, the the way I think about, the way I think about it is this. The reality is we started BlockFi in the third quarter of 2017. The original idea was to build debt debt and credit products for the crypto ecosystem because that's our background. And we've expanded uh, quite a bit uh, since then. And, And today we think that not only do we have an opportunity to become one of the leading kind of crypto banks or, or crypto brokerages, uh, but also that ultimately this crypto financial services ecosystem will start to compete head on with the traditional financial services ecosystem. And we hope to be uh, a leader throughout both of those phases. And, you know, currently we're in our most popular product, which is the interest account. We're generating over $35 million a month in interest for our clients. And we've had perfect performance since the first month that we paid interest to our clients. And it's literally like people that own Bitcoin and are, you know, bullish uh, on Bitcoin as an asset, earning Bitcoin interest every month. And in general, the behavior that we see is that they just hold on to it. So we're like enabling folks that are advocates for the space to get their hands on more Bitcoin, which ultimately they they hold on to. And we still like we're we feel like we're still in the very early days of this. So we're, you know, we we have a very exciting product pipeline, including products in the payment space that are going to make it easier not only for the folks that we already work with who um, in general heard about Bitcoin before they heard about BlockFi, uh, but we're going to increasingly look to create products and marketing messages that are relevant to folks that are crypto curious or or maybe not interested in crypto yet and help convert them into becoming bitcoin owners and so i think hopefully you know assuming blockfi doesn't uh fail completely um which the the odds of that happening were already low and they get lower and lower and lower every single day they're very, very slim at this point. But hopefully people at a certain point, even if even if using BlockFi's products isn't for them for whatever reason, they don't trust us or they're, they're worried about how lending works, they'll be able to look back and say, well, you can't argue that this wasn't a net positive for the ecosystem. Um, and I think the same thing can be said about a lot of big companies in crypto. You know, People might dislike Coinbase or they might dislike Binance or they might dislike, you know, uh, whatever other platform that's out there. 
But once you reach a certain level of success, a certain level of uh, adoption, it's hard to argue with the fact that you've been helpful to the mission of enabling consumers and institutions around the world to become a part of this ecosystem, which ultimately enables the ecosystem to grow and the, the price to go up and the market cap to go up and adoption to go up. And at the end of the day, we're all on the same team for that, for that effort. Well, I, I get a lot of emails about BlockFi. So for transparency, if someone's listened for the first time and they've skipped the ads, which you shouldn't do, if you have, BlockFi is a sponsor, my oldest sponsor. I've worked with Zach, known Zach for in our third year at least of knowing you. Um, uh, so I, I do have a bias. I have a bias as a customer because I like it. But at the same time, I said to Ben, who is new producer, what Bitcoin did, say hello, Ben. Yeah, I asked him to join us because I, I I wanted him to cover some of the things where uh, I want to give you a kind of like put the real uh, kind of questions that are out there into you. But but there are I I mean I'm getting a lot of emails at the moment. I would say at least a third of them are referenced to BlockFi, and it's you know it's a range of questions. What percentage of your portfolio would you leave with BlockFi? Do you trust BlockFi? Why BlockFi over Celsius? Which is easy, by the way. And uh, then it will be something like something will happen in the market and it's a reaction. So when that stupid website came out the other day, I must have five emails on the day asking me about that. So I'm always being asked questions. So it's worth getting you on. Um, it's worth getting you to talk through some of these things. So I'm going to cover the basics. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand over to Ben to get into some, some of the more kind of detailed stuff. But I know we've done this before and I know you've done this a hundred times, but I think we should just do the basics of what the BlockFi business is so people understand how you work, how you operate. Uh, so shall we start on the should we start on the lending side or do you want to start on the interest side? Which is the which is the easiest side to start? The borrowing or lending, sorry. I think maybe the the easiest way to explain what BlockFi does is to talk about it sequentially from where we started, because because where we started to where we are today, you know, was really all driven by customer and and market, you know, demands. So the first product that BlockFi launched in early 2018 was the ability for folks to borrow dollars secured by their Bitcoin as collateral. And we launched that product uh, right at the kind of top of the market, so around Bitcoin uh, 20,000. Then the second product that we launched uh, was the Bitcoin interest account, which is... uh, the ability for folks to earn a yield on Bitcoin and other and other crypto assets um, in an account with BlockFi. The reason that we launched that was as follows. So we had this U.S. dollar loan secured by Bitcoin as collateral product in the market, and our phones started ringing, and it was institutional firms saying, "Hey, we'd be really interested in borrowing cryptocurrency. Right now, there's only one game in town where we can." borrow cryptocurrency and it was Genesis, our, our friends at Genesis Capital and they're price gouging everyone and we think the market should have a few more participants and and we think that BlockFi uh, is a good candidate for that. Would you be interested in, in doing this type of activity? Um, and, and of course we were because we always knew that we didn't want to be just a monoline lending business. The online lending world where Florian and I came from, that was one of the biggest lessons. Like you want to be someone like SoFi that diversifies your product suite and adds more value for your clients through launching multiple products over time versus kind of a one-trick pony like a lending club. And once we decided that we were 
interested in, in starting to lend Bitcoin to institutions, it became very clear that the demand that these institutions had to borrow Bitcoin uh, was a lot larger than the amount of Bitcoin we had access to with just that Bitcoin-backed loan product. So those two ideas together uh, combined for the launch of uh, the BlockFi interest account, which came out in March of 2019. The idea is pretty simple. You can hold assets in an account with BlockFi and earn a yield on them at pretty attractive rates. So you know the base rate for Bitcoin is 6%. Uh, for Ether, it's a little over 5%. And for stable coins, which are one-to-one interchangeable with dollars in a bank account, it's 8.6%. And these rates are high when compared to you know, the traditional uh, financial market rates. And the reason for that is that um, this is still an emerging asset class. It's an asset class with a ton of growth built into it, a ton of volatility built into it, a ton of inefficiency still exists today in terms of uh, liquidity venues and how connected or unconnected they are from each other. Credit isn't very widely available. So so in general, you're able to offer much higher rates, which is really attractive uh, to folks that are participating as lenders. Um, and that product took off. And so I'm really excited that you know Ben is working with you now. I've actually known Ben for a while. Ben was creating videos around the time that we launched the BlockFi interest account, like dissecting what this meant. And, and there was one of them, I forget the name of it, Ben, you might remember, but there were like four people on it, I think all pretty hardcore Bitcoiners. And it was like two hours of, what does this mean? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it going to fail? Do we like it? Do we hate it? Is it you know Bitcoin banks, which is ultimately a good thing, or is it a scam, or is it something in between? Or you know, And it was... Um, it was a really exciting time for for our business because love us or hate us, we got a ton of attention. And, and ultimately, the way it's played out is that people, uh, in fact, do love getting a yield uh, on their Bitcoin. And so we've grown assets held in BlockFi interest accounts from you know zero when we launched it in March of 2019 to over $15 billion uh, worth, worth of assets uh, today and generated you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in interest that you know, has gone uh, to our clients. So fast forward about six months from that point, and the biggest complaint we were getting from our clients was, it's really cool that I can earn interest, but it sucks that I have to take my assets off of BlockFi if I want to trade them and then bring them back to earn interest again. So uh, we, we took that feedback and we said, okay, you should be able to you know, buy and sell assets uh, you know, directly on our platform. And we launched our trading product in... December of 2019. So today, those are the three things you can do in our mobile app or our web app. You can buy and sell crypto. You can earn a yield on your crypto. Actually, by default, you're earning a yield on every asset that you hold on our platform today. And you can get a loan secured by the value of your cryptocurrency holdings. Um, In the second quarter of this year, we're launching our fourth product uh, on the retail-facing side of our platform, which is a Bitcoin rewards credit card. I don't know if we're doing video for this or it's just audio, but I sit here spinning the yeah, card man. in my hands all day, every day because I'm so, I'm, I'm so freaking excited about it. You don't want my card. Uh, me too. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I, I think we'll have cards in in you know folks uh, that are either employees or, or influencers or good friends of BlockFi in the, in their hands in like April May, and then we'll start shipping them 
you know, more broadly in the back half of May and, and early June. So we're, you know, we're really excited about that because it's great for our clients, but it's also going to be great for people who, for whatever reason, have been interested in getting some Bitcoin, but they haven't, you know, crossed the chasm yet and actually created an account on Coinbase or BlockFi or wherever, or it's just a little too much to think of spending their own money to buy the Bitcoin. But if they could just earn it, uh, well, that's a completely different proposition. And maybe maybe that is uh, something that they would be excited about. So we're really excited about that. So that's the retail-facing side of BlockFi. We also have this part of BlockFi, which is the institutional-facing side of BlockFi. Also, on the institutional side of BlockFi, we manage the risk, all of the financial risks. So risk management is a, is a you know, big undertaking. We, we, we believe fundamentally that we're in the business of risk management at BlockFi. But the institutional services side of our platform is responsible for our institutional client relationships, uh, our market activities, our uh, risk management. And they're responsible for uh, the activities that generate the yield that we're paying to folks who are holding assets on the retail side of our platform. Um, so we are today the largest lender through our institutional uh, services product of cryptocurrencies to market-making firms, proprietary trading firms, uh, hedge funds, and also uh, we're a very large financing provider to crypto-native businesses like miners, uh, ATMs, uh, ex- exchanges, um, etc. Uh, so, and, and then on the institutional side of BlockFi, um, we've really been a big lender historically, but now we're in the process of also adding uh, trading functionality. So today our institutional clients can trade uh, over-the-counter, the spot market, and throughout the course of this year, our functionality there will be expanding to include derivatives, both futures and options. And uh, from a tech perspective, our institutional clients will be able to trade on screen and via API uh, with us as well. And last point, and then I'll, then I'll pause because I know I've, I've gone a little long here. Um, over the short to medium term, we believe that we still have a ton of wood to chop on just adding as much value as we can by creating new products and features for these two client segments that we have today. You know, crypto uh, market participants on the retail and institutional side of the equation. But medium to long term, we think that crypto financial services is going to compete head on and ultimately disrupt traditional fintech and traditional banking because there are things that you can do uh, better, faster, cheaper uh, from a starting position like what BlockFi's had than from a traditional fintech or a traditional banking starting point. So we see a world where folks like Coinbase or Binance or BlockFi or others uh, are competing with JP Morgan Chase or uh, PayPal. You could honestly say that's already starting to happen in the case of PayPal and other fintech companies. So that's uh, that's what we're working towards long term. We think there's going to be a world where financial services are a lot more available globally um, and at uh, much less fragmented kind of rates and constructs. And we think that that evolution is going to be powered by you know, Bitcoin and and what's happening in the broader crypto ecosystem. So it's just a, it's a little crypto business you've built up there then? Yeah, I mean, that, that uh, you know, that soapbox <laughs> I just stood on for a minute, that was basically yeah. the opening pitch <laughs> to, to investors yeah. for our, uh, 
for our Series D round of funding, which we just closed. And yeah. you know, um, congratulations on that. Yeah, thanks, and Peter. You were the you were the first person uh, going back a while now. You said that you're going to build a unicorn, and, and I remember the first time you said that. I think it was after our like Series A, and I didn't really believe mm-hmm. you. I was like, holy shit, no way. I mean, maybe, but I, I don't know. So look, we're really excited. We we raised 350 million bucks from a great group of uh, investors. You can check out the press release, but uh, world class investors, and it was at a uh, it was at a three billion dollar valuation, and we're gonna use the money to keep growing our team, uh, keep keep building new products for our clients, and um, I, I think we'll also podcasts. keep sponsoring podcasts, <laughs> and I think we'll also uh, potentially get active in the uh, in the M and A market, uh, make some acquisitions over the next. Uh, Three to eighteen months. Uh, well, we'll probably we'll probably uh, keep making acquisitions forever, but uh, I, I think we'll start being active in that market for the first time this year. That that's a big deal. Okay. Well, listen, we'll get into that later. Okay. So let's get in. Let's di- let's dissect some of these parts of this business. The bits that people always ask about, and I know you covered this with Preston Pish. I listened to that. It was a great interview. So these institutional borrowers. Let's just get into it. You, I know you've told this a hundred times. It must bore you to do it, but like. Who are they? What are they borrowing it for? Why are they borrowing it from you? Like, why don't they just hold it themselves? Uh, how are they generating their own, essentially their own yield, so they can pay back you guys with interest? How does that all work? Sure. So um, most of them are doing market making, proprietary trading, kind of arbitrage uh, type activities. There's a there's a, and then there's a pinch of shorting and a pinch of crypto native businesses borrowing for uh, inventory. So I'll give you an example of of each one of these things. Yeah. So let's say Peter or Ben, you work at uh, Susquehanna. Susquehanna is one of the most successful uh, market making firms in the world. What does a market maker do? They buy things for you know ninety nine point nine cents. And sell them for a dollar and a penny in all sorts of asset classes. Market makers get paid for providing liquidity into certain markets, and they get paid uh, by the delta between you know those two prices that they're making a market at. And so, uh, if you're someone at Susquehanna who's you know convinced your boss that y'all should take your market making capabilities and bring them to the crypto ecosystem and your boss says okay go do it peter here's 10 million bucks and you take the 10 million bucks and you go load it up on a few exchanges and you and you start market making things go really well because it turns out that you know crypto is very volatile liquidity is very fragmented and so it's a very ripe market uh, in terms of opportunities for market making firms so a month or two goes by, you're using the 10 million bucks and you come back and you say, it's worked phenomenally. Uh, we've, we've, we've made a lot of money. The returns are great. The risk is low. I'd like to increase our activity by a factor of five or 10 or 20x. We should be doing this with $100 million or $200 million. Um, but then what your boss says is, okay, great. I don't want to put up the $100 million all from, from Susquehanna's equity capital. Go find a prime broker who will finance our market activities. And that's the point at which uh, they end up calling someone like BlockFi or Genesis because their traditional prime brokers are not active uh, in this asset class. And so they call us, we 
you know, underwrite them, understand what they're doing, and then offer them uh, financing. And a lot of that financing is denominated in Bitcoin. Why is it denominated in Bitcoin? Because Bitcoin is the inventory that you need to trade this asset class. Uh, and so these market-making firms need to have some Bitcoin on hand. The same way that um, someone who's market-making uh, you know, for an ETF holds some of the underlying shares that uh, represent the makeup of that ETF uh, because it's helpful for them to stay uh, neutral in their market-making activities. So that's number one, proprietary trading. Can I, can so, I jump in there? Let, so yeah. let me just ask you a couple of questions there. So essentially through, through, through all of this, Bitcoin is the unit of account. It's the unit of account for what I deposit with you. It's the unit of account of interest I get paid. It's the unit of account what they borrow. And it's, is it the unit of account of interest they pay to you? Yes. All and essentially the it's the unit of account they use for market making. So what am I guessing? At the, end of, uh, at the end of a period when they have to repay their uh, loan to you guys, they will pay back the Bitcoin they've borrowed plus the interest and they themselves will have accrued some Bitcoin themselves and that will have a dollar value at that time. That's correct. So, so yeah. all the way through, it's denominated in Bitcoin. So you, know, you hold one Bitcoin in your BlockFi interest account. Uh, BlockFi takes your one Bitcoin plus 99 other folks' one Bitcoin, lends 100 Bitcoin to Susquehanna. We're paying you 6%. So at the end of a year, you're all going to have 1.06 Bitcoin, regardless of what happens to the price of Bitcoin. We lend 100 Bitcoin to Susquehanna, and at the end of the year, they're going to pay us back 107 Bitcoin. And that's kind of like a representative example. And so then in that mm-hmm. scenario, BlockFi makes one Bitcoin. Our clients uh, all made 0.06 Bitcoin because they're all just holding you know, one on our platform. But it's denominated in Bitcoin all the way through. And that seven Bitcoin comes from essentially <laughs> liquidated traders. <laughs> it's liquidated traders. It's, um, it's helping tighten the market. So you, know, you see things yeah. all the time where... Uh, the price of Bitcoin on different exchanges or in different markets uh, diverges, yeah. and you know, in that it, it's that exact scenario where market making firms are just printing money because <laughs> they say, "Okay, we've got a ton of money. We have money in all these places. Our system sees that you know Bitcoin is going for fifty seven thousand at Kraken and." Uh, fifty six thousand eight hundred at Coinbase, and they buy it at one and and sell it at the other. Right. Okay. Okay. So it's just efficiency. Okay. And with these clients, kind of, what kind of are they having to collateralize the loans with you? Are they having to provide guarantees? What's the due diligence? Um, what's your risk exposure to them? You know, a market collapse and a business going under because. Okay, I, I, I'm like I'm sure you only work with the best, but there was a time where nobody thought Lehman Brothers would go under. So, what is the this, like this is the this is the reason there is not zero risk, right? Yes. So, I encourage folks to watch um, any of the podcasts or videos with uh, Rene Van Kesteren. He's our chief risk officer, and he generally only talks about this type of stuff when he's on shows, but. 
Um, the, the simple answer is uh, for firms like Susquehanna, where they have billions of dollars in equity capital, they've operated profitably for a long period of time, less than 5% of their business is in the crypto market. BlockFi can generally get comfortable taking some credit exposure to them. And what does credit exposure mean in this context? It means with their 10 million that they're using to trade crypto, we would give them financing so that they could trade 50 or 100. So, you know, we've lent them 40 or we've lent them 90, ultimately uh, with, with 10 of their own equity that they've put up to do these market making activities. But importantly, one of the things that, one of the many things we look at uh, during the underwriting is where is this entity in the corporate structure of Susquehanna? If this entity were to, uh, you know, blow up, does it pass through to the parent where all of the money sits? And we make sure that all of those things uh, are true um, before we give anyone credit. And, and to date, we've, you know, there's been less than 50 out of 250 institutional firms that have qualified for that type of credit exposure lending. And generally, they all meet a similar profile as Susquehanna. Then let's say there's you know, Peter and Ben's market-making firm. And y'all made a ton of money from the What Bitcoin Did podcast. And so you're taking 5 million bucks and y'all are going to go start making markets in crypto. The maximum you would be able to borrow from BlockFi because you don't have billions of dollars in equity and all of your business is in crypto and you don't have a long track record of making money by doing these activities in a you know incredibly low risk way is maybe five million bucks of equity, three and a half or four million secured by your five. And um, shows how we much our friendship fucking means. And, and so we would <laughs> um, and so in that case, you know, if if you start to get off sides mm. uh, in terms of your positions, um we could, you know, BlockFi has sufficient capital from you to close out your positions before uh, we've ever been, you know, put at risk of, of losing a penny. Um, and there's a separate, you know, but similar kind of way that risk management works for our retail loan book. But, you know, we've done these things uh, since January of 2018 through multiple periods of volatility, including you know, the most significant down day of volatility that we've ever had back in March 11th. There's some interesting kind of learnings from that market event that I'd be happy to share. But also now from March 12th to today, we're up, what, 11x-ish? I know, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, and look, we've, uh, you know, we, we've had perfect performance um, the, the whole way through and, and perfect performance not only in the sense of of course, our clients' capital and BlockFi's capital has been protected, and we've delivered the interest rates that you know our product uh, delivers. But also in some more uh, you know qualitative areas. And one of the biggest things you learn being in this business is that sometimes, like you know, the math part of the risk management can be relatively easy, uh, but there's a people component to it in terms of. BlockFi's operations and, and training of employees, but also in terms of how we interact with our clients and our desire to have a very long-term relationship with our clients that are important as well. 
and, and those things don't exist. You know, that, that second stuff, the long-term client relationship, they don't exist in other areas of this ecosystem, in particular DeFi, where um, I love DeFi. I'm a personal fan of it, but it's just very different. There's no one, there's no one to call and say, hey, the, blo- the, the blockchain was a little uh, you know, congested when I tried to send you more margins. So um, can we work something out here because you liquidated my loan? I mean, it's just, you know, no. The answer is no on DeFi. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a little bit different at BlockFi. Okay, so that's, that's part of the institutional customers, but you said there were others. Yeah, so um, I'll give you examples from each bucket. So that was market making. Uh, then there's proprietary trading. There's kind of long, short, which would be shorting. And then there's crypto native. So proprietary trading. Um, uh, and we'll probably talk about this somewhere else in the show. So let's use it as an example. Um, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Uh, yes. Up until about two weeks ago, the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust traded at a premium to NAV, meaning you know there were uh, 100 Bitcoins sitting in the box and... The, the fair market value of those today is uh, 5.6 million bucks, but actually the shares were trading at an implied valuation of 7 million bucks. And uh, what, what arbitrage and proprietary trading firms would do in that scenario is <clears throat> borrow Bitcoin, subscribe to create new shares of the trust. When those shares became liquid and freely tradable, sell them and pay back the Bitcoin. So they borrow 56, you know, uh, 100 bucks worth of Bitcoin. Ultimately, they sell it. They make 7,000. They pay back 5,600 and they keep the difference. That's how the trade worked when it was at a premium. Now it's at a discount. So the way the trade works now for folks that are doing it is they uh, borrow Bitcoin, sell it, take the cash from selling that Bitcoin, buy shares of GBTC, uh, which are trading right now. Or, you know, they closed yesterday at, at just under a 5% discount. I think it was like 4.75 or maybe 4.5% discount. Buy shares of GBTC. When that discount comes back to closer to the app, they sell it, pay back the loan, and, and make the difference. Um, why why the is there popular. a why, why, why does it trade a, um, a premium and, and at a discount? What's, what, what are the reasons? Um, it, it's really a function of uh, supply and demand. Uh, intersecting with the fact that this is a trust product which does not have the same uh, creation and redemption mechanisms that an ETF does. So going in reverse order, an an ETF, you can constantly and effectively in in, daily or sometimes real-time cycles uh, be buying more assets for the ETF or selling assets out of the ETF to keep the price of the ETF in line with its underlying holdings and the activity in the market. With these trust products, which is what we have in the US, because the SEC hasn't been willing to approve an ETF for Bitcoin yet, that subscription and redemption mechanism uh, works very differently. Basically, to create new shares of these trusts, you have to subscribe and then wait for somewhere between 6 and 12 months, depending on the product. And there is currently, for the grayscale uh, trusts at least, no redemption mechanism. So things can go in, but they can't come out. And so historically, these things traded at a premium. Why? Because GBTC 
was really the only thing you could buy in your mm. uh, retirement account at Fidelity or Schwab or, or somewhere else and get Bitcoin exposure in a traditional kind of brokerage construct where you already have your IRA money or your 401k money or whatever it is. And you know the reason I think they're starting to trade at a discount now is a, is a function of a few things. There are more products available in the marketplace today both in terms of other trusts and in terms of uh, ETFs in Canada getting approved and ETNs in Europe. Um, there was a, uh, maybe a week and a half ago now, um, because uh, you know long-term Fed rates are rising, you've seen the beginnings of, or at least a short period of a rotation out of tech and into more cyclical value-oriented uh, stuff. And I think Bitcoin gets caught up in that a little bit in the traditional in the traditional equities market at least, and you have some actively managed ETFs, most notably the Ark ETFs and specifically Ark W, which hold GBTC and which are ETFs. Meaning, when Ark W experiences outflows, they're a forced seller of GBTC because that's one of the underlying holdings of Ark W. Um, and so we think all of these, you know, all of those factors together uh, came about, and now GBTC is trading at a discount. Um, and we could talk about how long that might last and what things you're going to see happen uh, in the interim. You know, Digital Currency Group already announced that they're buying, a, they're, you know, uh, getting set up to buy up to a quarter billion dollars of uh, GBTC, and they'll do other things because it's really bad. For grayscale to have GBTC trading at a discount because you'd have to be a complete moron to subscribe to create new shares of GBTC while the liquid shares are trading at a discount. So grayscale has a tremendous incentive to get the liquid shares back to NAV or a premium because otherwise their spigot of new subscriptions is completely shut down. Right. Because you would never, Peter, say, oh, yeah, I'm going to subscribe to create new shares of this trust and wait six months before the shares are freely tradable. Um, you know, and, and I'm going to pay you know, net asset value for that when you could buy the same shares for a 5% discount on the open market today and they would mm. be completely liquid. Um, so you know, we'll, we'll see how these things play out. I think ultimately the question in my mind isn't whether we get closer to NAV. I think that's a given. Um, uh, the questions are how long it takes for that to happen, you know, why that happens, which could potentially be because the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust gets converted into an ETF. So it, it, it's a question of the duration, uh, the why, and whether it goes back to trading at a premium again in the interim, which I think uh, there's a reasonable uh, chance of that happening. So that's your arbitrage one. And the biggest things that these arbitrage funds have done are either uh, Grayscale and other products like it, arbitraging the uh, you know, inefficiencies and capturing that premium or now capturing that discount. Um, and then they've, they've traded uh, the futures basis. So the futures basis is when the uh, you know, future price on CME futures or you know, offshore futures is higher or lower than the spot price. It's either in contango or backwardation. Generally, 
When the market is bullish, it's in contango. When the market is bearish, it's in backwardation. And what you can do with that is when we're in contango, so you know, the March Bitcoin future is trading at 58,000, but the spot market is trading at 57,000. You can sell the future, buy spot, wait till futures expiry, which is the point in time at which those two prices will converge, and you make the delta. So you make you know $1,000 over that period of time, and then you can annualize that to get an implied yield. And the implied yields on futures basis have been insanely high <laughs> recently. Like You've been able to make 15, 20, 25, 30% taking you know, basically CME and, and, you know, crypto spot exchange risk, which is pretty de minimis in, in my view. Um, so that's another, those are the two biggest things that arbitragers do. You're starting to see some activity in uh, the options market, which is becoming increasingly liquid. So there's other strategies that you can do uh, in options where similarly to the other two, you're generally market neutral, but you're making some implied yield. Um, and for all of those things, too, there's a need uh, to borrow. Um, and, and why do you want to borrow? Well, let's say that implied yield on the futures basis was uh, 15%. Let's go back to the example with Susquehanna where you've got 10 million bucks. Okay, I've got 10 million bucks. I'm going to do the futures basis. I'm going to make 15%. I'm going to make 1.5 million. Well, what if you did it with uh, 20 million? Okay, well, then you're going to make 3 million instead of 1.5. What if uh, out of that 20 million, only 10 million of it was your money and the other 10 million was uh, money that you're borrowing at a 7% rate of return or or at a 7% uh, interest rate? Okay, well, now you're making 15 on your equity plus another 15 minus 7, which is the return on the 10 less your cost of borrowing. So you've just increased your net return and you haven't uh, taken on incremental risk because the structure of the trade is market neutral. Um, so that's arbitrage. And then the third thing is shorting. This is you know probably the tiniest, especially especially recently. But uh, people people it, think people, a long time people have thought it's like the main use, right? No, I mean this is this is tiny. Like it's probably never been more than five percent of our activity. So the example for shorting is, um, let's say you're a uh, a long short hedge fund. So, so your job is to you know look at some universe of assets and say I think this one's going to go up over whatever period of time. I think this one's going to go down, and I'm going to be long this one and short this one. Um, whatever assets you want to go short, you need the ability to borrow uh, and, and then sell because that's how you put on a short position. Um, and, and BlockFi does facilitate that. I mean, today it's probably close to zero in terms of what part of our lending book is is shorting but um look if we you know if we have another cycle where let's say we're shooting up to somewhere between 100 and 400,000 over the next 12 months and then and then we pull back down to 75 or 100,000 from 200 like the some of that shorting activity you know will pick up uh in there yeah. but it'll still be small relative to the overall book and then the last one is crypto native businesses. So let's imagine you're a um, you're a uh, Bitcoin ATM operator, and you know you're basically in the business of selling Bitcoin to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of uh, some of the nuance in terms of 
when you you know show a price on the screen and deliver the Bitcoin to the client, it can be really valuable to have some inventory um, you know available that that you don't necessarily just have long exposure to on your balance sheet. So you could borrow some Bitcoin, make some income in Bitcoin by then selling the Bitcoin. Um, or let's say you're uh, an exchange running a uh, you know fully funded margin trading platform and the margin trading demand keeps increasing. You can't finance all of that activity with your equity capital. You could raise more equity or you could use debt the same way when you're running any business, you think about you know equity and debt as options for uh, financing. You know we're a big we're, we're a provider of financing there. So across these things, the activity is you know directionally like eighty percent market making and proprietary trading firms, uh, ten to fifteen percent, um, maybe ten to twenty percent <clears throat> crypto native businesses. And then five percent or less shorting. And would you say that just the majority of it is using Bitcoin as the unit of account all the way through? Well, Bitcoin is uh, you know by far the biggest part of uh, you know BlockFi's asset makeup. So out of the you know a little north of fifteen billion now of total assets on our platform, around sixty percent of it is. Bitcoin and the rest, mm. you know, about sixty percent is Bitcoin, twenty to twenty-five percent is uh, dollars in the form of stable coins, and the remainder is uh, the other cryptos on our platform, which are Ether, Litecoin, and Link. Um, and then there's a tiny little pinch of Pax G, which is gold. Just a just a casual fifteen billion. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like that could be uh, casual when we're when we're on a podcast like this, but um, you know, we don't. We don't treat it casually in any regard. No, I mean, there's cool. there's been some incredible developments uh, in terms of um, BlockFi's systems and team since the last time I was here. I mean, we're over 500 people now. We've what? got a we're over 500 people. We've got a you know very very robust not only financial risk management operation yeah. but also cybersecurity risk management, operational risk management, legal and compliance. Yeah, um, uh, you know, operation. But that's insane, Zach. Because I remember that like first place I came to, it was like what fifteen people, twenty people. Yeah, I mean, the first time we met, you were at our our office in uh, Tribeca. Yeah, <clears throat> it was like a fifteen person office with, uh, you know, two conference rooms. And conference rooms is a strong word, more like closets with a couple desks in them. <laughs> yeah, and then I got the Uber copter to your next one, and that was what maybe fifty, sixty people. Yeah, and we were sharing that one. Uh, yeah. It was maybe like 60 for BlockFi, and there was another company in there with 15 desks. That's still the one we have, but we're, you know, we're in the process of starting to look now for a new office that uh, we'll go to once we're allowed to go nice. to the office again when, uh, wow. when everybody's properly juiced up on the vaccines. That's, that's pretty insane, 500 people. Next up, I talk to Zach more about Bitcoin lending. But before that, I have a message from my show sponsors. Okay, Ledger, the hardware wallet I use almost every day. Now, it's the hardware wallet I've used since I got back into Bitcoin in 2016. Well, it's late 16, early 17, when I first started hodling properly. Because when I first discovered Bitcoin in 2013, I wasn't in it properly. But I started first hodling properly in 2017 
and I know I needed a hardware solution, and I picked Ledger. I bought a, well, I actually bought two Nano S's, but one of them is the same device I am still using today. I've always been a fan of the product for two main reasons. Firstly, it's just so easy to use. It's so robust. The device itself just works. But more importantly, Ledger Live, which you use to safely manage your Bitcoin itself, is really easy to use. And if you are an Android phone user, you can actually connect your Ledger to your Android to manage your Bitcoin on the go. Now, if you want to find out more, you can head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. And next up we have is Kraken, which is my favorite place for buying and selling Bitcoin, and the only place I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin. Now, Kraken is consistently rated the best and most secure crypto exchange, and you know how important security is to me. They also have the best in class in customer service. So if you've got any issue, whoever you are, wherever you are, if you reach out to them, they're going to get that fixed for you. And if you want to trade Bitcoin, they have every tool you could possibly need. Whatever your level of experience, if you head over to Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and start trading Bitcoin. They also have their beautiful mobile first app, so you can trade Bitcoin on the go. And with their margin trading futures and OTC desk, Kraken has every option covered for you. There's no better place to trade Bitcoin, and you can find out more at Kraken.com or download the app. It's available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. And lastly, but not least, is BlockFi, the stars of the show today, but also a sponsor, as I said. Now, BlockFi had a big announcement before Christmas. It's edging closer. They are soon to be launching their Visa Rewards credit card, and I cannot wait to get one of these. Stacking sats on every card purchase at a market-leading 1.5% rate is something I damn well want. I want to stack sats with my card purchases. Now, BlockFi have opened this up to everyone now. You don't just have to be a customer to join the waitlist. Anyone is eligible to join. And you can find out more at BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Okay, so I, I think that's a kind of clear understanding of that side of the business. Ben, is there anything you want to ask about that side? Um, yeah, so, I mean, I, I definitely have a bunch of questions. So um, I, I think the, 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 the thing that you touched on, Peter, that I wanted to just get slight, a little bit of clarification from Zach was the... Uh, that the are the loans that you're giving out collateralized? You mentioned that you're talking about the equity of these firms and how you know a, a larger entity with a larger reputation, um, it gets a little bit more leeway than maybe a smaller entity like um, Peter and I's bucket shop uh, example that you gave there. Um, but are, I, I was curious: Are you actually physically collateralized? Are you taking some fiat to give out Bitcoin, or are you just looking at their equity overall? Uh, the answer is um, it's a spectrum. So, so we're doing, you know, we're doing uh, both. On one end of the spectrum, we're taking uh, liquid collateral, uh, which could be dollars or euros or crypto assets, and, and holding that to cover something that uh, someone has borrowed and margin calling and liquidating it the same way we would a retail loan, where folks are exclusively borrowing dollars secured by their crypto. Um, then there's scenarios where we take something that might be illiquid as collateral. So, for example, shares of uh, the grayscale products or, or other products while they're still in the seasoning window. And then there's scenarios where it's, it's really like effectively corporate credit type risk where we're not receiving any explicit collateral for uh, a particular loan but it is guaranteed by the company. Uh, 
So, so we're doing we're doing all of those things. The majority of the book is collateralized uh, with something, I- excluding the corporate loan part. Like probably seventy to eighty percent of it isn't that you know this is basically a corporate loan where they're not sending us any assets whatsoever as collateral, um, and the remainder is either secured by fully liquid assets like fiat currency and other cryptocurrencies or you know assets like shares in a trust that might be uh, illiquid for a period of time but will ultimately become liquid all right that makes a lot of sense um, so I, I definitely wanted to dig into um, a few things um, one I, I wanted to actually say that you know, you mentioned there was a, that video that we did a long time ago. It was called the the mystery of BlockFi with um, my buddies Max and Zane and Tib. And we it, it's funny because when you guys first like kind of came on the scene, um, I don't want to go on a huge monologue here, but um, we were just uh, finishing uh, Murray Rothbard's The Mystery of Central Banking, and here comes this Bitcoin bank kind of emerging onto the scene. Um, so I found it fascinating, and and we kind of dug in there and. Uh, we were ready to kind of tear you apart and say, these guys are, you know, it's systemic risk and all this stuff. And we, we learned a lot in that. And um, one of the most interesting things I learned about what you're doing um, is avoiding um, maturity transformation, which is um, a really fancy word, right, that, that it basically means that in the traditional banking world, um, even if the loans that banks are making are good, that if everybody shows up at the bank at the same time and tries to withdraw their money, even if all the loans are, are solvent, the bank becomes insolvent. And you get a bank holiday where they just say, we don't have the money. And what BlockFi is doing is avoiding that situation by saying um, that there's a withdrawal window on both sides. Meaning, you know, if I'm depositing my Bitcoin in BlockFi and I need to take it out, um, you might give me up to, I think it was seven days, at least when you first launched. Um, and then the same is true on the side that you're lending where they, the, the, the people that you're lending to, the institutions, um, you can call that loan back, essentially, within a seven-day window. Um, I, I found that really interesting because I think that's the biggest part of this, this evil word fractional reserve banking that Bitcoiners just absolutely detest and are like, kind of scared of um, when they really should be mad at the Fed, the lender of last resort. Resort who uh, distorts the risk. I, I was wondering if you just wanted to briefly just like talk through how, how is is this preventing that systemic risk that that uh, that we're kind of touching on here? Yeah, I mean, look, I think there's uh, there's a few things that are um, fundamentally different about uh, the way BlockFi operates versus the traditional banking sector. Starting with the fact that um, there is no ability of anyone. To just print a bunch more Bitcoin if if things go you know haywire for some type of Bitcoin bank that's not a thing right so there is no backstop in the same way that there is for the traditional system and then in terms of uh, how that is implemented practically on BlockFi there's a couple big differences I would say number one is uh, the maturity transformation aspect so. Uh, in general, you could think of a bank as taking overnight deposits and making a lot of 30-year you know, mortgage loans, for example. And so you've got this tremendous amount of maturity transformation. And at BlockFi, um, we don't, you know, we're not doing that. It's technically in the interest account, we have up to seven days to process withdrawals when someone withdraws. 
Um, we've never actually used that. We process withdrawals in one business day, but but technically we do. And then when we're making those loans to institutions on the other side, we can close them out on shorter duration than that seven day window. Um, the other thing I would say uh, just goes to like reserve ratios. Uh, so I think right now I don't think they've changed it, but like I don't think banks are required to have any reserves. At least the biggest ones, you know, because of the liquidity risk in the system coming out of uh, COVID, and so they have like a zero percent reserve ratio. Now we don't necessarily have a regulator at BlockFi telling us here's your required reserve ratio, but we're very aware of that, and we're very aware of the unique properties of Bitcoin and how that, uh, you know, what implications that has for our business. So um, we don't ever lend out more than like 20% of the assets on our platform. So we've got 20% just sitting around at all times, and then we're not doing maturity transformation. And then the last thing I would call out is that structurally, um, our equity capital sits ahead of our uh, client's capital in in a uh, loss scenario. So we're always looking to raise more equity capital and strengthen our balance sheet because that's another one of the uh, protections that's kind of embedded in how we've designed the BlockFi system. Is that almost like uh, an insurance against any kind of partial failure part of the business? Yeah, I mean, look, it's uh, it, it's just a, it's a capital buffer, right? So you know, one, one part of it uh, would protect against you know a loss scenario where the bigger equity capital base you have, and we actually book loan loss reserves now. We started doing this at the end of last year um, for accounting purposes, not even because we think we're going to encounter losses necessarily. We've actually never you know, in, encountered a loss to date, um, but, but because we felt like it was, uh, it was prudent. The other thing that we do is we set up lines of credit, uh, which could be either you know, secured by uh, BlockFi as a company or uh, secured by collateral, which would enable us to draw on liquidity, uh, you know, to bring more liquidity into our system if we ever needed to. So, you know, we're always thinking about fortification of the balance sheet and and risk management um, in the context of you know the type of risk management that we need to do, which is unique given that we're operating primarily with Bitcoin. And I wonder on that point. Um, that we were kind of talking about about the maturity transformation. Uh, Peter mentioned a website that was <laughs> relatively uh, scathing um, that came out and was talking about um, y'all maybe taking advantage of those those GBTC premium swings. And um, what I was really interested is the the idea that is it if you're if you're taking advantage of these GBTC things if there's any truth essentially to what the website was saying at all because it sounded like to me they were inferring a lot of their numbers um, and you know they claim to have a bunch of inside information about what you're doing with your capital which I found surprising but what I'm really interested in is that like is is if if you're locking money up in in the GBTC premium um, trade is that possibly taking apart that maturity transformation avoidance. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm not saying it articulately. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I understand the question. So said another way, um, the question would be like, if 
if Bitcoin is going in to create new shares of the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, is the maturity on that necessarily six months or whatever the seasoning window before the shares become liquid is? And actually, uh, BlockFi's view is that while shares of GBTC don't trade uh, freely on the open securities market until after that seasoning window, there's a very liquid market for them even before they're freely tradable in the traditional securities market. Um, We know that because we're very active in that market. (laughs) And we know all of the other folks who are active in that market as well. So if you, you know, to, to give you an example, if you've been, you know, subscribed to create shares of the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, you would have to wait six months before they show up in your brokerage account. But if something happens two months after you subscribe to create those shares and you just wanted to get out, there's a lot of people you could call who would buy them from you. You might not get the same price that you would get if you waited six months, but there's a price. And, and, and uh, it's, it's a very liquid market. I mean, ultimately, this thing is a derivative of Bitcoin, and Bitcoin is incredibly liquid. So, uh, and then just, you know, on, on the point of that website, since you, since you brought it up, there have been all kinds of forms of mudslinging at BlockFi throughout, throughout you know, our existence. And most of the time, you can tell whether someone is looking to have a thoughtful dialogue about risk management or, you know, providing feedback or constructive criticism, or if it's just trying to kind of you know, slander you. <laughs> and uh, I think the website that you're referencing was definitely the latter. And so it, it comes from a place of, you know, I saw, I saw rumors that it was a specific competitive firm or, you know, who knows. But like our position at BlockFi is if we keep being successful, uh, there's inevitably going to be people who are, you know, trying to, take us down or, or spread FUD or whatever we want to call it, we're going to stay focused on what we think we do best, which is adding value for our clients, helping to promote the ecosystem and deliver more value to our clients by launching new products. And um, you really can't engage with it. You know, like people, people are always like, well, why don't you issue a formal response? It's like, well, if you issue a formal response to something like that, then literally the, the people lobbying uh, these deflammatory like accusations at you, then then they win because then they're getting attention on all this stuff, and maybe people find out who they are. And so you can't go. You know, there's an expression someone told me. It's like if you get in the mud with a pig, you'll get dirty, and they'll have a great time. So I think our approach is like, look, we're not we're not going to go play in the mud with pigs. We're, we're happy to have thoughtful conversations about our risk management or what we're doing anytime, but we're not going to get into the mudslinging. We don't think it's good for the industry. In general, we want to be promoters of the industry. And so, you know, we're not, we're not going to stoop to that level. Yeah. It's a, I, I know that I just drew it up. Is that never, never wrestle with a pig. You both get dirty and pigs <laughs> like getting dirty. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. So never, never wrestle with a pig. You'll get dirty and the pig will have fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, Zach, I wanted to ask you about um, 
on gaps, right? I know one of the things that I identified early on is is there's this idea of gap risk. And I know you guys do all sorts of really interesting things to try to avoid that and have things that are watching the markets all the time. Um, there was that market bloodbath in March last year, obviously. It sounds like you guys did really well. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, one, it was it a really scary time? And, and two, um, because that was a big gap down, um, and we have seen uh, gaps up in price recently, um, possibly, you know, this is just the beginning of a huge bull run. We could see, you know, million-dollar prices, maybe some of, the, some of the higher calls have said. Um, if that happened extremely quickly, um, I wonder, if, is that a harder situation to deal with than a gap down? Um, is it just depends on which side of the, the, the party, you know, which, which section of the business you're looking at? Um, I think these big moves are one of the things that I've identified as the largest risk, and, and I could be wrong there, especially because you've you've kind of um, illuminated that that shorting is not as large a part of the business. I think as a lot of people think it is. So I'm just curious how how you think. Just to yeah, just add add to Bed Singh there as well, Zach. It's um, so I was chatting to somebody, and they said most of the people who have concerns over BlockFi just don't understand the business. But if we started to see uh, big moves up. If you started to see like thirty thousand moves up in a day, that would be something that he would have concerns over. Uh, obviously, yeah. you're going to risk plan this. So, look, if um, in general, let's take two. Let's take two periods of time. Let's take uh, 2018 and let's take the last 12 months. So, 2018, generally speaking, you know, volatile, but in a in a downwards <laughs> uh, spiral, ultimately <clears throat> ending in you know kind of like a capitulation puke from six k down to three k, and it wasn't fifty percent in a single day, but it was it was close um, back in like October of twenty eighteen, I think it was, and then the last twelve months where uh, you know let's exclude March eleventh, we're past that now, so starting on March twelfth or thirteenth. Uh, through to today, where we're where we're up 11x. Um, BlockFi is thrilled, and our business does phenomenally well uh, in periods like the last 12 months. Um, we do well, and, and and we're you know it's not that we're at risk of losing money in the periods like 2018, but it's not nearly as fun. At the end of the day, we're a crypto financial services company, and we want the size of the Bitcoin market to grow. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, in terms of like gaps, I mean, y- is it a risk? Yes, absolutely. Do I think it's realistic uh, at this point with Bitcoin to expect a, you know, 50% gap up or down with no liquidity in between? I don't. And the reason I don't think that's realistic is because if you analyze the structure of the market in terms of where their liquidity is, in terms of the derivatives that you have in addition to the spot market now, and if you just track volatility over time relative to to liquidity, um, and and also if you think about the, the constituents in the marketplace where Increasingly now, we've had institutions come in, and, and the reality is, uh, they they'll take profits more frequently than maybe a highly convicted, um, you know, retail uh, Bitcoin owner who sees this purely as a long term bet and isn't necessarily thinking of it in the context of needing to 
deliver a realized return every year to their LPs. Um, so fundamentally, we're Bitcoin bulls. What we're trying to help support uh, alongside yourselves and, and everyone else in this industry is, is growth of the Bitcoin market cap. We would much rather see that happen than see things the other direction. Um, we monitor gap risk. There's a lot of things that we <clears throat> have in place in terms of access to liquidity, the ability to hedge these things, the construct of the portfolio that mitigate the risk. You know, if Bitcoin gapped up 50% tomorrow with no liquidity in between, BlockFi would be fine. We would be better than fine. We would be like popping champagne alongside everyone else that owns Bitcoin. <laughs> it would be phenomenal for our business. Um, so, but it is something that you know we we very actively uh, track and monitor. And one of the most important things is, um, you know, that you've got access to a bunch of different venues where liquidity is available, and you have sophisticated risk managers who, you know, when markets get volatile, they can hedge things. Going back to March 11th, which is our last kind of, and I don't even know that too much of that was a gap. I mean, you had gaps on March 11th, but it would be like a five or ten percent gap. It wasn't like a 50% gap down. Um, you know, we were the only institutional lender that was open for business and retail lender. We were also open for, you know, new retail loans, but we were the only institutional lender that was open for business on March 12th. Uh, and I think we were unique in terms of um, how we handled things on the retail side of our loan book in that we did you know, work with clients for a period of time after March 11th in exactly the scenario that I described earlier where you have someone who's saying maybe, I sent you more collateral. You can see that I sent you more collateral because it was pending on the blockchain, but I wasn't using a wallet or I'm not you know, a sophisticated enough Bitcoin user to have input a high enough you know, uh, transaction uh, fee to have had that transaction process fast enough relative to the price moving. Because that was a big part of what happened on March 11th. Like It was hard to move money around uh, because the fees increased dramatically. Because everyone you know, was, was trying to move money around and get it to different points to capture arbitrage opportunities or buy more or sell some or whatever. Um, and we worked with our clients on that, on, on that stuff. Right, because um, people... People have to like recapitalize those loans. Um, listen, I've I have two main questions left. Um, if you still have time, Zach. Yeah. Um, the f- the first one's about this co-mingling idea. The idea that the Bitcoin back loans make a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, I, I take my my Bitcoin, I, I give it to you, I get fiat out of it. Um, you just hold the Bitcoin. Uh, the way you're making money is um, I'm paying you more fiat back, right? And you know, obviously that same LTV stuff applies, but um, it makes a lot of sense to me. The uh, the the lending side of it, you know, I'm very risk averse. Obviously, um, I've learned a lot about your company. I think it is really cool what you guys are doing. But I personally would kind of, you know, I'm less likely to use that product because it seems like there's a little bit more risk in it because you're the lending and all that stuff. Is um, I'm wondering, you know, there's a potential for for commingling between these two products, and I, I'm wondering, you know, what what that would, you know, what what can an investor think about when they're when they're thinking about that risk. Yeah, look, this this is a really easy one to answer. Today they're absolutely commingled. We are 
likely later this year going to introduce an account where um, you don't earn a yield on Bitcoin, but it is just held safely on the BlockFi platform uh, where you can trade it and get a, and get a loan. Once that comes out, uh, it won't be commingled in the way that you're thinking, Ben. But but today it absolutely is, and so uh, you know folks have to keep that in mind and, and be comfortable with it when considering our loan product on the BlockFi platform versus maybe some of the other uh, products in the marketplace. My guess is that you're going to pay for it uh, with some of the other. You know, if you if you want a non commingled option. The rate that you're paying to borrow the dollars is probably a little bit higher. I could be wrong. I haven't I haven't looked, but if the market was relatively efficient, that would be the case. But they're definitely commingled today at BlockFi. Okay, appreciate that. Um, my my last main question. Um, listen, we we got to ask Zach. You know, this isn't the what shitcoin did podcast, right? But you guys adding big, uh, all these other altcoins and stuff. Um, you know. I'm 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 guessing based on what you've talked about so far is it's based on market demand, but you know Ben Ben, do you know how far back me and Zach go? You didn't you can't throw this one in without telling me. I have no idea. I didn't know this was coming. Fair enough. Go on. Is it, it additional risk adding altcoins and DeFi and packs and 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 Link? Man, Link is the big one that surprised me. Uh, Zach, what what's the deal, brother? It's capitalism, man. I mean. Um, ultimately, you know, we, uh, it's capitalism and client demand. I mean, look, I, um, I've said publicly multiple times that, you know, I'm like, depending on the day, 90 to 95% Bitcoin, but I hold a little bit of ETH and, and that's about it. That, that is it for me personally, uh, in, in crypto, but, uh, these things are small, you know, between Bitcoin and dollars, it's 80 to 85% of our, of our, uh, platform, but uh, clients do use them, and they trade them. Uh, and you know, we definitely don't have the plethora of shit coins to use <laughs> your terminology, uh, Ben. That that other places do, and part of the reason for that is uh, specifically our you know risk tolerance, um, and in particular. Liquidity is incredibly important, and a lot you know you you don't have to go too far down the market cap list to find things that are incredibly illiquid relative to their market cap, and that's an area where you know we don't intend to go. And in fairness to Zach, from day one, I said uh, in the sponsorship and the ads, we're never going to talk about altcoins, shitcoins, whatever. And Zach's been cool with that. We've only ever promoted Bitcoin, um, which is part of what. We originally agreed. I've got a few other questions, Zach. Yeah, go ahead. Um, just, just considering the wider market, there are some competitors out there. Um, how and it seems to be growing. Um, other companies moving into this. Firstly, is there almost unlimited demand right now to borrow Bitcoin? Um, does does, it, does there ever come a time it tops out and you have to say, look, we can't take any more on because there's yeah we've hit the demand cap. Uh, there's there's definitely not unlimited demand to borrow Bitcoin, but there's two important variables um, there. So one is that the demand to borrow Bitcoin that BlockFi wants to capture comes with an asterisk of at what level of risk. And we don't have a very high risk tolerance 
Yes, if you're looking at just you know not lending Bitcoin at all, that's a lot less risky than lending it. But then once you go into lending it, our risk tolerance is very low. Um, so there's a lot of Bitcoin lending opportunities that we wouldn't touch with a 10-foot stick because they're simply too risky. We like right. stuff where it's really hard for us to make a case that we could ever lose a penny. That's the type of lending that we like to do at BlockFi. So that's one side. The other side is um, you can uh, adjust rates. So depending on how much Bitcoin lending you're able to do relative to how much Bitcoin you, you have, um, you can you know, reduce uh, rates that you're paying to depositors if you aren't keeping up on the borrowing demand side of things with the supply that you have of Bitcoin to lend. Or you can increase rates, which is actually the last time we changed rates on Bitcoin, we increased them, and it was uh, in April of last year. You can increase rates if you want more Bitcoin uh, to lend. Um, and so I think the growth that you're seeing is a reflection of market demand and the success of, com- of companies like BlockFi. And, and so a lot of people are saying, we have to you know, get into this too. But it'll be interesting to see what happens to Bitcoin lending markets. You know, I think um, my, if I had to guess today, I would say dollar rates go up, Bitcoin rates go down in terms of what you're paid as a lender over the next uh, three to nine months. Uh, that would be my informed view. But we might see something different. Okay. Um, another thing, a question, because I'm obviously based out of the UK, uh, 15% UK audience. I've got quite a few people asking when can they borrow against their Bitcoin. There was a there was a point you could borrow, I think it was a large amount you were doing, and now you're not doing any UK loans. I know the UK is a particular pain point for Bitcoin companies. Do you know what's going on there? Yeah, I absolutely know what's going on. We're... Uh, so we used to make loans to folks in the UK that were above a certain size. Uh, I think it was 55,000 pounds. Mm. And that's kind of a level in which the government says, okay, these are you know basically rich people, so it's fine. Um, now BlockFi is in the process of getting set up as a, you know, a, a regulated, licensed company in the UK, in addition to licenses that we already hold in the US. So our legal team made a decision that while we're in the process of uh, getting that official license set up, probably just, you know, not make any more loans than, than what we've already uh, made, but we're coming. I want to be, be up and running in the UK like we are in the US, which goes all the way to, you know, folks being able to easily send us money to and from uh, their bank account. Okay, awesome. Um, and another thing that's on my mind at the moment, haven't had my bank accounts closed down by... Uh, Lloyd's Bank recently. It feels to me like a company like BlockFi is half of the way there to what somebody like I need. Okay, I can hold Bitcoin uh, in um, an account and get interest. I can hold dollars and, and get interest. Ideally, I could hold pounds and get interest. You're going to have a credit card coming soon, which I can use. If you had something like direct debits, like TransferWise have, almost closes the loop of all the things I would need from a bank account. Is that a direction you're heading in? Is that a possibility? Do you see, I always talk about you as a future of banking, uh, but do you see that as a possibility that companies like BlockFi end up 
providing the services that banks aren't willing to provide. Yeah, I mean, look, you basically just laid out a big part of our roadmap. <laughs> so um, okay, that, that's exactly where we see it going. I mean, look, we think I I think that you know uh, two years from now, someone in the UK or in a lot of other countries in the world should be able to do all of the following things on BlockFi. Earn a yield on uh, Bitcoin and traditional currencies, or uh, just safely hold it and not earn a yield. Send money to and from that account using every uh, traditional payment rail that they're familiar with: direct deposit or uh, SEPA or you know whatever payment mechanism, um, and take it off using those same payment mechanisms and all of the cryptocurrency payment rails, which are already kind of integrated, um, they should be able to spend uh, using a credit or a debit card, ideally one that gives them uh, crypto rewards, Bitcoin rewards for that spending instead of traditional points. And I would add one thing to the roadmap, which is you should also be able to make peer-to-peer payments in any currency that you choose. So, uh, if you're, you know, splitting a dinner bill with Ben, you could just instantly, using each of your BlockFi accounts, send him pounds, Bitcoin, uh, euros, dollars, whatever, and it would be done. So, and that's what I was kind of alluding to earlier. It's like, I think these things are going to converge and they're going to converge in two ways. One way is you're going to see folks like PayPal and Square and others coming into the crypto ecosystem. The other thing that you're going to see is companies like Coinbase and Binance and BlockFi and others going after, you know, parts of the traditional fintech company business. And then ultimately, you're going to have banks maybe (laughs) one day getting involved somehow. Uh, But, you know, banks get their butts kicked by, by payment companies and fintech companies anyways. Like Visa is larger than any bank in terms of their market capitalization. Um, And interestingly, Visa is heavily leaning into uh, what's happening in uh, crypto. So we'll see what happens with banks. But I think all these worlds are going to converge. And I think the crypto side is going to win. So I think you're probably going to have that account where you can do all of those things that you said, Peter. Um, I think it's more likely that that account is somewhere like BlockFi, certainly than a traditional bank. But also, I think it's more likely that it's with a company like BlockFi, uh, more likely with a company like BlockFi than with a traditional company like TransferWise. Yeah, it, it certainly feels like banks are having their blockbuster moment. Um, when I got my letter from Lloyd saying they were closing my account in 65 days, I phoned them up and said, look, I just need to know why I've been with you for 25 years. Uh, and they said, oh, you have to come in for an appointment. So I had to go, I had to, go to a branch. <laughs> okay. And I walked in, I just thought, God, this is the first time I've been in. I couldn't even remember, maybe three years because I have no need. And then I waited half an hour for an appointment. And in that appointment, I was, I was told, well, we can't tell you why, because I don't, the, the department who closes accounts down never give a reason. But you have essentially, what, is it like 50 days left? And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I can see, I can see where your business model is going. Um, uh, the, the asset of having a, a something on the high street in every town is now a liability, and your customers will migrate away. But the one thing, the one advantage they have, like out in the US, you have the FDIC insurance. We have our accounts here in the UK. I think they're insured up to seventy-five thousand uh, pound by the government. 
it, is our insurance services coming to you know companies that custody Bitcoin? I know Gemini has some form of insurance. I, I, I know I'm pretty sure you told me you looked at it before, but it was way too expensive before. Is this stuff coming? Yeah, it's it's definitely coming. I think it's coming for the custody side of things. Uh, it's already here in you know some capacity for the custody side of things. There'll probably be eventually maybe some kind of insurance for the earning interest side of things, but definitely for the custody side of things. Um, one thing I highlight is that, uh, look, FDIC insurance and the insurance that you have, Peter, is, is cool. But Bitcoiners are going to be so rich, it's an insignificant amount of money for them, man. Like, you, what did you say? It was 75,000 pounds in the UK? Like, you're going to make so much money off your Bitcoin that you're not going to give a flip about 75,000 pounds worth of insurance. Uh, you're going to want to That's use whatever's true. best for your life as long as, you know, I mean, how, how frequently has the UK had to use this insurance scheme recently? Like, 2008 was when, uh, I think it was born out of 2008, the, the risk in 2008. But but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just one of the things some people think about when, you know, so for example, say you were paying 6% interest, but it was like, you could you could pay 4% interest and, and be insured. It might be one of those things that people would take that trade off. Yeah, absolutely. And, and right now, you know, we're always looking at that. Right now, the price of insurance for a custody account, there's a couple companies doing this, um, is like north of 2%. Like I, I saw a pricing sheet recently and it was 3% a year to insure your crypto against like cyber theft if it was just sitting in like a normal custody account at Gemini. So forget forget even earning right. yield. So, so the underwriting cost when you say, I want you to not only underwrite the custody, but also the lending activities. Now the cost is going to go up. And, and, and ultimately, every time we've looked into it with anyone legitimate that could actually you know, support billions of dollars uh, in insurance coverage, they either say we can't do it or, oh, golly, it's going to cost you, you know, 25% a year. And then it's like, well, that ruins the economics for everyone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, listen, Zach. Look, appreciate you doing all this. Um, I was going to do. I was going to cover one last section with regards to how I think the market's changing. Like people don't need to sell their Bitcoin because of companies like you. But let's do that next time. Let's let's talk about the future of banking next time. Um, hopefully in person. Uh, hopefully in New York. Hopefully we'll grab a steak somewhere and have a proper catch up. Uh, ben, appreciate you coming on and helping with this one. Um, uh, appreciate all your work you've done supporting the show, Zach. Uh, I'm glad to see the company flying. Say hello to Flory for me, and yeah, just hope I see you soon. Great to see you. I'm I'm still a huge fan of uh, what Bitcoin did. We're so pumped to you know have the opportunity to continue to be sponsors, and I miss you, Peter and and Ben. Congrats on joining the team, man. Um, we'll talk again soon, guys. Thanks. All right, bro. Take care. Okay, how was that? Was that what you expected? Did we ask all the questions you wanted? Have you changed your mind on BlockFi? Do you now think this is a good service? Do you still think BlockFi is a problem? I think this is always going to be divisive. And I understand where the people who have issues with borrowing and lending come from. I haven't. I understand this, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Still, I think the industry has become more mature. I think we have companies now who understand custody better, who understand risk better. And as I said, I am happy to have a part of my allocation with BlockFi and an interest. Now, there are a lot of rumors thrown around about BlockFi. Look, I'll deal with fair criticism, but I'm not going to deal with unfounded misinformation. A lot of people question their ability to mitigate big moves in the market. But in March last year, when Bitcoin dropped around 50% in a day, it didn't stop BlockFi. We actually did a show around that time. 
tackling the specific issue with Zach and Flory, the other co-founder of the company. And if you want to hear more of that, that was show episode 214. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. Hopefully it put some of the rumors to bed. Hopefully it answered some of the questions you had. If not, reach out to me. Look, I will keep the dialogue going with Zach. I will have him answer the questions that you want answered. If you want to reach out to me, there's two ways you can do it. You can join my Telegram group or you can hit me up. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Also, if you want to support the show, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps with the listings. And also, if you want to check out Defiance, that's at defiance.news. That's my other podcast. And if you want to check out my newsletter, the daily dose of macro tech and Bitcoin, that is at neveredit.com. I love you all. Have a great weekend. And I'll see you all next week.